This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Who do you say I am? On a wall near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with the following inscription, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that People may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. No literal portrait of Jesus exists either, but the likeness of the Son of God who makes us free can be seen in the lives of his true followers. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 16, verse uh, 16 through 18, it says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed, and all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrored that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. By current standards of success, Jesus might be considered a failure. Let's look at how Jesus measured up to these standards. <coughs> Excuse me. Was he popular? No. No. He was not well liked. In fact, after one of his sermons, all of his followers deserted him, except for the 12 apostles. Did he have political power? No. He was a political failure. All levels of government just rejected him. Then they conspired to kill him. Did he have lots of friends? No. His friends often hurt him, eventually abandoned him, and one of them betrayed him to death. (coughs) Excuse me. Did he have money and possessions? No. No house, no wheels, no world headquarters, no Christian amusement park. Was he respected by his peers? No. His professional peers, the Pharisees, rejected his work. Despite his apparent failure by these standards, Jesus Christ has changed the lives of millions of men and women across the centuries. Yes. But how could he in light of these failures? They weren't failures at all. They were not. Isaiah 53, verse 1 says... Who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal his saving power? 
my servant, referring to Christ, grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. If the world doesn't hate you, you're probably not in love with Jesus. Verse 4, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles was a punishment for, from God for his own sins. Although he was sinless. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and the sin of us all. Jesus welcomed that. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearer, he did not open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins? That he was suffering their punishment? In Jesus we have the holiest man who ever lived. And yet it was the prostitutes, the leopards and the thieves who adored him and the religious who hated his guts. It's a profound irony that the Son of God visited this planet. And one of the chief complaints against him was that he was not religious enough. He wrestled with justice that you might have rest. He wept and mourned that you might laugh and rejoice. He was betrayed that you might go free. He was apprehended that you might escape. He was condemned that you might be justified and was killed that you might live. He wore a crown of thorns that you might wear a crown of glory and was nailed to the cross with his arms open wide to show with what freeness all of his merit shall be stowed on the soul that comes to him and how heartily he will receive you into his presence. So said John Bunyan, who was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Lord, we just ask your blessing right now. Yes, Lord. Upon the emergency vehicles that are out there, 
rambling around and we hear them and we ask that you help them yes. respond to those who have need tonight. Yes. That you would rally and meet those needs and draw them closer to you and deliver them from harm. Yes. We all join our faith together in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen. And amen. Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, it says, But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God that you tell us whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, Yes, it is as you say. And in the future you will see me, the Son of Man, sitting at God's right hand in the place of power and coming back on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror, shouting, Blasphemy! Why do you need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. And tearing his clothes disqualified him from ever being the high priest again. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He must die. And then they spit in Jesus' face and they hit him with their fists and some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 9, he had done no wrong and he never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and fill him with grief. He was as higher than our ways. You know, when you read a lot of the passages in the scriptures, Jesus was in disguise. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children, many heirs, descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's plan will prosper, will flourish, will thrive in his hands. He planned to rescue you from sin and from death and from hell. That's what he planned to rescue us all from. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied, not in vain. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant, Christ, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. Verse 12 says, I will give him the honors of one who is mighty, who is almighty, who is great. How great thou art. We know he who is awesomely great. Because he exposed himself to death for you, he was.
was counted among those who were sinners. He was camouflaged for our sins. He bore the sins of many and interceded for sinners. He stood in the gap for you and you and you and you and us. Had there been an insane asylum in the suburbs of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ would infallibly have been shut up in it at the outset of his public career. That interview with Satan on the pinnacle of the temple would alone have damned him and everything that happened after could but have confirmed the diagnosis. Hearing voices, he heard them being tempted to jump off of a high place. He was tempted. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah. And others say... Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. No one was quite sure because Jesus was in disguise. Then he asked them, what do you say? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Who do you say he is? You know, I find it interesting that we read that big portion of Isaiah chapter 53, and it gave great details about the life of Christ and about what would happen leading up to his crucifixion and his crucifixion and what it was all about. And the, the priest and the high priest knew what Isaiah said. And they knew who it was talking about, that it was talking about the Messiah. Yet still they said, who are you? They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand who he was. And, and they killed him. They crucified him. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, For people can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day I will raise them from the dead. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. Christ, he was the anointed one, the Messiah. He was anointed to take away the sins of the world and the sins of each and every one of us. He was, he's came to be and give hope to the hopeless. John chapter 4 verse 25, this was the woman at the well and she said, I know the Messiah, who the promised and expected deliverer that all of Israel was waiting for. I know the Messiah will come the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then in verse 26, it says, 
Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You know, you wonder what, how she responded. I mean, she went back to tell everybody because she recognized that indeed he was the Messiah. The better you get to know Christ, the Messiah, the less defeated you'll ever be. And if there was someone who was defeated, that woman at the well was. I mean, Jesus, he knew her. He knew her past. He knew all the times she had failed at marriages and and all of that, yet he loved her. And he gave her victory. Graffiti found on a wall at St. John's University said this, Jesus said unto them, Who do you say that I am? And they replied, You are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being, the kerygma in which we find the ultimate meaning of our interpersonal relationships. And Jesus said, What? What? (laughs) I know why you had me read that. That's got some pretty big words. (laughs) A man who can read the New Testament and not see that Christ claims to be more than a man, can look all over the sky at noontime on a cloudless day and not see the sun. They must be, they're just blinded. That so says William Edward. Blenderwolf? Blenderwolf? <laughs> That's close. That's close. This is a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. <clears throat> He said, if you, he was speaking to one of his generals. He said, if you, General Bertrand, do not perceive that Jesus Christ is God very well, then I did wrong to make you a general. So said Napoleon Bonaparte. He also said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But upon what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. That's how they built their empires. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Again, that was a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. Mark chapter 1 verse 21 says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And every Sabbath day he went into the synagogue and he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one who had real authority. Quite unlike the teachers of the religious law, a man possessed by an evil spirit was in the synagogue and he began shouting, Why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. And Jesus cut him short. Be silent. Come out of the man. At that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion. But then he left him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news of what he had done spread quickly through that entire 
area of Galilee. Charles Edward Jefferson characterized Jesus this way. There is something so pure and frank and noble about him that to doubt his sincerity would be like doubting the brightness of the sun. In all, only about 50 days of Jesus' ministry are touched upon in all of the combined gospels. So in all four gospels, only about 50 days are covered. Jesus' term of ministry equaled three years, or 1,095 days at 365 days a year. That means that 0.046% or slightly less than than half of 1% of the days that Jesus was actively ministering are actually recorded in the Gospels. There's so much that was unwritten, so much that, that we don't know about. John chapter 20, verse 30 says, Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will have life. John chapter 21, verse 24 says, This is that disciple, speaking, John is speaking of himself, who saw these events and recorded them here. And we all know that his account of these things is accurate. And I suppose that if all the other things Jesus did were written down, the whole world could not contain the books. That's an amazing scripture. That right. if everything was written down that Jesus has done, the whole world could not contain, contain the books. Imagine <clears throat> all the teaching, the conversations, the ministry that took place when Jesus was walking here on the earth that we've never heard about yet. Mm. Plus all the things that he's done since the crucifixion and the resurrection. All right. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one whom God created, through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. The humble carpenter of Nazareth was also the mighty architect of the universe. When you think of who Jesus was. Verse 17, he existed before everything else began. And he holds all 100% of creation together. You're, you're part of that creation. And he holds us all together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, 100%. And he knows each of you, and he loves you greatly. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says, God has purchased our freedom with his blood, Christ's blood, and has forgiven all of our sins. Jesus is God. He is, 100%, spelling himself out in a language 
that man can understand. The bread of life had never become stale. Mm -hmm. The bread of life. The light of the world knows no power of failure. Didn't we have electrical failure here today? We did. The church was kind of shut down for a while. Electricity wasn't flowing here. Early this morning, everything had to be rebooted, restarted. And the light of the world, he never knows power failure. That's right. <laughs> to the artist, he, Jesus, is the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he, Jesus, is the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he, Jesus, is the son of righteousness. To the baker, he, Jesus, is the living bread. To the banker, he, Jesus, is the hidden treasure. And to the biologist, he, Jesus, is the life. To the carpenter, he, Jesus, is the sure foundation. And to the doctor, he, Jesus, is a great physician. And to the educator, he, Jesus, is a great teacher. To the farmer, he, Jesus, is the sower and Lord of the harvest. To the florist, he, Jesus, is the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he, Jesus, is the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he, Jesus, is the true vine. And to the judge, he, Jesus, is the righteous judge. To the juror, he, Jesus, is the true witness. To the jeweler, he, Jesus, is the pearl of great price. To the editor, he, Jesus, is the good tidings of great joy. The, uh, to the optometrist, he, Jesus, is the, the light of the eyes. To the philosopher, he, Jesus, is the wisdom of God. To the printer, he, Jesus, is the true type. To the servant, he, Jesus, is the good master. To the student, he, Jesus, is the incarnate truth. To the tired, he, Jesus, is a giver of rest. To the sinner, he, Jesus, is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. To the Christian, he, Jesus, is the Son of the living God, the Savior, the Redeemer, and Lord. A man came back to work in a place from which he had been fired several months previously. His work was superior now. A fellow worker remembered how inconsistent he had been in the past and asked, what happened to make such a difference in you? The man told this story. When I was in college, I was part of a fraternity initiation committee. We placed the new members in the middle of a long stretch of a country road. I was to drive my car at as great a speed as possible straight at them. The challenge was for them to stand firm until a signal was given to jump out of the way. It was a dark night. I had reached 100 miles an hour and saw their looks of terror in the headlights. The signal was given and everyone jumped clear. 
except one boy. I left college after that. I later married and have two children. The look on that boy's face as I passed over him at 100 miles an hour stayed in my mind all the time. I became hopelessly inconsistent, moody, and finally became a problem drinker. My wife had to work to bring in the only income we had. I was drinking at home one morning when someone rang the doorbell. I opened to find myself facing a woman who seemed strangely familiar. She sat down in our living room and told me she was the mother of the boy I had killed years before. She said she had hated me and spent agonizing nights rehearsing ways to get revenge. I then listened as she told me of the love and forgiveness that had come when she gave her heart to Christ. She said, I have come to let you know that I forgive you and want you to forgive me. I looked into her eyes that morning and saw deep in her eyes the permission to be the kind of man I might have been had I never killed that boy. That forgiveness changed my whole life. Jesus can change the foulest sinner. He can do that. And he can change that foulest sinner into the finest saint, as he did for that woman. All the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever were built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as had this one solitary life, the life of Jesus Christ. If Shakespeare should come into this room, we would all rise. But if Jesus Christ should come into this room, we would all kneel. There is an ancient Scottish legend that tells the story of a shepherd boy tending a few straggling sheep on the side of a mountain. One day as he cared for his sheep, he saw at his feet a beautiful flower. One that was more beautiful than any he had ever seen in his life. He knelt down upon his knees and he scooped the flower in his hands and held it close to his eyes, drinking in its beauty. As he held the flower close to his face, suddenly he heard a noise and he looked up before him. And there he saw a great stone mountain opening up right before his eyes. And as the sun began to shine, On the inside of the mountain, he saw the sprinkling of the beautiful gems and precious metals that it contained. And with the flower in his hand, he walked inside, laying the flower down. 
He began to gather all the gold and the silver and precious gems into his arms. And finally, with all that his arms could carry, he turned and began to walk out of the great cavern. And suddenly a voice said to him, don't forget the best. Thinking that perhaps he had overlooked some choice piece of treasure he turned around again and he picked up an additional piece of priceless treasure and with his arms literally overflowing with wealth he turned to walk back out of the great mountainous vault and again the voice said don't forget the best but by this time his arms were And he walked on outside and all of a sudden the precious metals and stones turned to dust. And he looked around in time to see the great stone mountain closing its doors again. And a third time he heard the voice. And this time the voice said, you forgot the best. For the beautiful flower is the key to the vault of the mountain. And Jesus is like that beautiful flower. He's the best. Jesus, the son of God who created this place, put us here and then he came here to die in our place. Jesus did that. It's awesome. It's amazing what he wants to do in each of our lives while we're here. He's got a plan for each and every one of us. And he wants us to always put him first above everything else. And when you think of that, who do you say that Jesus is? Our goal tonight was to paint a picture and to remind us all of who Jesus is. You know, as we think about the fact that God is love, you hear the sirens again. Yeah, let's just pray for them again. Papa God, we don't know who is hurt, what's going on. We don't know what's happened out there, but we know that you do. Yes, Father. And that's why we pray for those people. Whoever they are, whatever's going on, we ask you to rally to their to them and to assist them, to help them, whatever's going on. Bless them, almighty God. Help those in great need. We've prayed this prayer thousands of times, and you've always rallied to help those who are in need when we come to you in your name. So bless those in our city who's in need tonight. Heal them and restore them and provide what they have need of. In Jesus' name. You know, as we, as we look at Christ and who he is to us, that gives us the ability to share him with others, that we can point them to him. You know, as the, they did the drama earlier about leave the light on, you know, we need to leave the light of Christ's love on in our hearts. We so do. that we, when people are around us and they have need and they're hurting and they're confused and they're hopeless, 
that they can see the light of Christ in us and that we can encourage them and walk with them through their struggles, whatever their struggles are, and not turn away when people are struggling. We need to turn towards them when people are struggling because we're all living in this world and we all have an enemy that's trying to take every one of us out. You know, he wants to pull every one of us down. But we need to recognize that God has us here for a reason. Number one, that we will know Christ. But then also that we will make him known. That we can share him with others and give them hope. He wants us to be the light. That other people will see. Mm -hmm. In a dark world where sirens are screaming and all kinds of horrible things are going on. Almighty God has put us here to be light, to give hope, to give help to those who are in need. That's why we're here. And there are so many things that beckon for our attention, and they are so worthless. But God has given us the light to contain the light in us and to love people and to pray for people and to give them the hope that he has given us. That's really one of the greatest values that we have. That we have something of substance to give people and to help them. Every one of us who knows Christ, you've got the greatest treasure this world has ever even known. And we can offer it to so many. I think that's a good gauge that we should live each day with this in mind. And we talked about it a a few weeks ago when we read a story about a little little boy whose dad had given his life in Vietnam to save another guy who was about ready to step on a landmine. And the little boy asked the, the man who had been saved by his father, he said, were you worth it? You know, as we're living in this, this life, are we living a life worthy of Christ giving his life for us? You know, and we need to look at our lives and say, am I investing and spending my life on worthless things? Or uh, am I investing and spending my life on what matters to God? On what can make a difference in this world that we're living in? So those are some questions that we need to ask on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. How old am I? 68. (laughs) 68? I told somebody earlier I was 66 since I got here. I I don't know. I just got tangled up. (laughs) But I'm 68 years old. And I wasn't there to correct you. You wasn't. (laughs) But you know, 68 years... When I started studying, I may have told you this before, I started reading and finding out, well, how long <clears throat> do most people become a pastor and say a pastor? I said seven years. They often, they burn out. They burn out and they throw you in the towel. Not everybody, but a lot of them do. I don't think, you know. We're going to keep the light on. 40 some odd years, I don't think that's enough. I think, I think we all need to keep the light on for a world that is full of darkness. To give light and give hope to every man, woman, boy, and girl that is yet here. I think that's what God has called us to do. Let the light shine. Mm-hmm. There's an old song that goes, 
This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. How's the next part we go? Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. We just sang that one. I want to say it again because what do you think? What do you think the devil tempts us to involve ourselves with just carnal activities? And he doesn't just do it once. He keeps up. He is always trying to get us to blow the light out. He wants to distract us. And we're going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. And that's just the truth of it. I challenge you, let your light shine. Let the light that God has put in you, let it shine. And let it, you know, illuminate the path for other men and women and boys and girls. Wherever they might be, let the light shine. And speak up for the light and let it shine. Yes. Do you have anything you want to say? Nope, I think I've said it all. <laughs> I think you have to. What I'd like us to do is to pray. And I'd like us to renew our, our light, our commitment to Christ. I really would like to, to pray that and to genuinely mean it. That I want to be the light of the world. I want my light to shine and impact people's lives. God has put us here in this old building. And we've kind of got a facelift on it recently. He put us here for a purpose. This building means nothing. But you do. And this old building is put here for a place for us to worship God and to study his word in. And to bring other people too. That's what this building is for. To honor him. But the building means really nothing. Except the fact that we're pointing. Our steeple is pointing people to Jesus. So why don't you lead us in a a simple prayer. I was just thinking about the the one statement that the the man made um, to his fellow employer. Because of the, the difference that it made when he received forgiveness for killing the young man, you know, in the, in, the, uh, in the fraternity initiation thing, that he said that he saw in that woman's eyes, and I'm sure it came forth that like light, he saw in her eyes the permission to become the man that he could have been, that he should have been had he not done that terrible act. And that that's what forgiveness does. It does. You know? When we can receive the forgiveness of God, no matter who we are, what we've done wrong, when we can receive that forgiveness, it's like a brand new slate. 
And it gives us permission to be all that God would have us to be with no marks against us. You know, and he experienced that. Through her coming to know Christ, he came to know Christ and knew that forgiveness. That's huge. And so any of us who receive forgiveness, we have to share it. We do. And that's why it's called a new, a new life, a new creation. And God has given that to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Mm-hmm. He's forgiven us all because of his son's paid for us all. Yeah. And we need to let the light shine that he's deposited in us. That's right. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I thank you. I thank you. That you sent Jesus. That you sent Jesus. The light of the world. The light of the world. Into this dark world. Into this dark world. To set us free. To set us free. From the darkness. From the darkness. Thank you. Thank you. That he died on the cross. That he died on the cross. For each and every one. For each and every one of us. And for our sins. And for our sins. He paid the full punishment. He paid the full punishment. For me. For me. I receive. I receive. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my Savior. And as my Savior. I believe. I believe. That he was resurrected. That he was resurrected. On the third day. On the third day. To give me power. To give me power. And victory. And victory. To live. To live. A life. A life. That honors you. That honors you. Help me not to waste my time. Help me not to waste my time. On worthless things. On worthless things. To not be distracted. To not be distracted. But to live focused on you. But to live focused on you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, Papa God, we just lift up every man and every woman and every boy Every girl, every person we, that's in this building or is connected with us in any way, we lift them up to you right now. Yes. On this very night and this whole weekend, and we claim their salvation because Jesus died for each and every one. Yes. And we claim their salvation that they'd come to know you in a very personal and a powerful way. Almighty God, would Christ... To settle down in our hearts and let us make room for him, almighty God. Help us to kick anything and everything out of our lives that takes your place in us. Almighty God, forgive us for all of our sins. Almighty God, help us to experience you the way you want us to. Transform our lives, we ask. Work a miracle in us, we ask. Turn on the light in us, almighty God, that it will shine until the day we see you face to face. Bless these men and women and these boys and girls. Whatever it is that they have need of, and even if they don't know what they need, provide it for them. 
Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.